if for some reason you've just joined us recently at our church, I normally work through a book at a time, and we're in one of those little in-between periods where we're doing a topical series, and we'll be off that very soon, and I don't know, I was thinking maybe the book of Romans or Genesis or something like that from my no, I'm kidding, be a shorter book than that, but uh, yeah, you'll notice today you better, you better be ready to get a writer's cramp, you got a lot of room there to write, it's going to be about a I don't know, 95-minute sermon, so you hunker in there and get ready for No. All right, so um, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the famous faith chapter in the Bible. You know that. That's a whole hall, hall, hall of fame of, of faith, and you have the various people that are mentioned there who are particularly faithful. And in it, you even have a little definition of faith where it says that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things seen, not seen, and that those who come to God must believe that God exists and he rewards those, rewards those who seek him. And then there's this whole list of people who all live that way, live their lives that way, and are examples to us of people of, of monumental faith. Think about Moses for, for an a moment. It says in that chapter, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And here you go. For he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. What I'm trying to get you to see here right off the bat is that it belongs to the very nature of faith to prefer the reward of faith, that which God holds out to the believer. It is the nature of faith to hold to that rather than whatever other pleasures might be stacked up on the other side. That faith has to do with preference, desiring God, as uh, John Piper famously made that, that phrase popular desiring God is fitting with faith it should not shock us when I say that what I think might shock you is our big idea today how many do not like to talk about rewards you just if you start my wife was brave enough to raise her hand we just we, oh it's so petty it's so petty to talk about rewards let's not let's not this, this is just beneath us it's tawdry well it's not it's not, it's deeply, deeply biblical. Set your heart, as, as Moses did, huh? set your heart on the rewards of Christ's return. Because if we understand it biblically, not only is there nothing wrong with thinking about the rewards which will come with Christ, but it is absolutely vital. Some Christians are allergic to it. They, they have kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy with God. Right? Don't ask me. I don't want to know. I won't tell you. Uh, I'm just going to keep this to myself. And uh, if, if there's something later on, uh, but I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear about it. How many feel a little bit that way today? You're just not into rewards? How many are really pumped up? You want to hear about rewards today? Oh, well, okay. That's a different group than I expected. Okay. So there's a number of things that go along with this biblical truths that undergird this. For instance, our works will be judged. Our works will be judged. And because I'm covering a lot of ground here, you'll see parentheses throughout where I'm giving you scripture passages that you can go back and look at later. I will, I'll read some of these. Um, we know that those who are in Christ have escaped condemnation. 
that is set. There is therefore now no condemnation for he who is in Christ Jesus. And in that sense, we won't be judged. In that sense, we won't be judged. And that's why John can, Jesus in John says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Yes, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And you're like, okay, good enough for me. No judgment. That's great. We'll, we'll not have any, but that's not quite true. That's because judgment there is being used very specifically to talk about condemnation. We've escaped condemnation. But what does Paul say? For we must all appear. He's talking to Christians when he writes this, and he's including himself. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this goes along with several other passages in the New Testament that, that declare that we will give an account to the Lord. We will come before his judgment throne. We will give an account for what we have done, how we have exercised the stewardship that's been given to us. We don't fear condemnation and damnation because we have Christ, but the fact is we will face that giving of an account. We will have to give a reckoning. And in that day, what do we want to hear our Lord say to us? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we should be looking forward to that. We should understand that. We should not exclude that in the way we think about his coming. Secondly, our works will be rewarded as a proof of our faith. Look, look at this. This is one of my favorite verses because it really clarifies something very, in a very, very concise way. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Good works will be rewarded. But God will not be paying us something that God owes us. It is not as though by doing good things you put God in a state of indebtedness to you because the fact is what we do, the good that we do, is the Lord working in us. Paul could say that. that you know, nevertheless, it's, it's, it was the Lord working in me. Christ working in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. The, uh, the, the, the works that were prepared in advance for us to do. True faith works. If we have true faith, faith works. If we have true love, it labors. If we have hope, it works itself out in steadfastness. This is, this is the outcome of what he has given us. Does that make sense? You tracking? Not sure. Okay. The other day, I was calling in my, my dog, uh, Fiona. It's at lunchtime, and at lunchtime, she, she's a very smart dog, and she, she knows what, what's on the docket. Like, she knows the, 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 the game. She knows the drill. And uh, Debbie was somewhere else. I was there, and I was trying to get her to come back in because I was going to go back to work. And she knew that. That's the one. Most of the time, she doesn't like to be out alone, but she didn't want to come back in. I'm like, Fiona. And she's like, oh, no, this is, I know what's going to happen now. I'm going to get inside. He's going to turn the echo device on and start playing lullabies and then uh, bye-bye Jay, right? So she's out there, and she looked at me. And I said, come on. And she looked at me again, and I thought, this dog is not going to come. And I got down a little bit, and I, and I clapped my hands, and I said, Fiona, come. And she ran in. You know, she, she came in. Despite her better judgment, she came in. And uh, when I took her inside, I gave her a treat. I had not promised her a treat. I didn't say, come in, I've got a treat for you. And it's not even my habit when she just comes inside to give her a treat, but 
What do you think I did that day? I gave her a treat. I wasn't indebted to her. I didn't owe her that. But what I was saying to her was, I love the fact that that you trusted me and that you obeyed me out of that relationship rather than what you wanted to do at that moment. That's a good thing. And in the same way, that, in the same way I, that, that's how God works with us. There will be rewards, but the rewards will be for that which God has worked in us. And it's not God that, that God owes us those things. It's that it's his good pleasure because of the relationship, that faith relationship and that connection with him. Next, there will be a difference in rewards. You probably don't want to hear this, but it's true. There will be a difference. I keep thinking of the Johnny Cash song, When the Man Comes Around. Every, through, the whole time I've been working on this series, I keep, I keep hearing you know, phraseology from that. You know, Like, uh, like he, there's the part where he goes, everybody won't be treated all the same. And, uh, and that's true. That's, that's, that, is, that is absolutely biblical. Rewards will be distributed unevenly. I'll say that again. Rewards will be distributed unevenly. Some will receive many rewards, some will receive none, and there will be all points in between. Now, that's a tough one for us to hear, but can we deny that that is a biblical concept that is laid in that, that, that is, you know, that, that, that's absolutely apparent? You know that to be true. Think, think about the parable of the talents and what is Jesus getting at there, that, that some are given uh, you know, certain resources and they do more with them than others, and so, they, so they're given more in terms of rewards in that day. We know that to be true. Paul can say this, and the context I'll explain in a moment because the context sometimes gets, well, it gets taken out of context, but here it is. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone works, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, Paul there, the context is he's speaking to church leaders, people involved in, in building upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ and the apostles. So every church is working to build the, the, the church upon that foundation, and some people use quality building materials, which I would take to mean biblical materials. And some people come along and they do what's pragmatic, what they want to do, may not be biblical, but they think it'll bring people in. And, um, and what Paul basically says is, you know what? When the judgment day comes, it will be seen how they built. And some people, some of those leaders, you know, who have built, maybe in a very pragmatic way, their reward will be burned up. Doesn't mean that they're lost, it just means that there won't be any reward of, of that labor which, which they've given. Again, there are differences. One receives reward, one doesn't. Now, before you get too upset, at least what I want you to see and acknowledge right now is this is biblical. Yes? Do you see that much? We may not like it. It may not be something we really want to be true, but it is true. And the, and the fact of the matter is we should live our lives in light of this understanding. This should make a difference. Jesus encourages us to think this way. You say, no, he doesn't. He doesn't want me going around selfishly thinking about rewards. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where the rust and the moth and the thieves can't break in and corrupt and steal. And, 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 and it, it will, in other words, it will be there. 
Get your mind off of the treasures of this world. Don't spend so much time preoccupied with all these things. Put your mind there about what is being laid up for you in heaven. He very much encourages us to think about those rewards which which he will bring with him when he comes. And that's the next point. We will receive them when he comes. And maybe this is obvious given the sermon series that is about the Lord's coming. But it needs to be said that the timing of the reward is when he comes. Now, you say, well, what about in between? When I die, won't I receive a reward? You'll be with Christ. <laughs> and, th- and that is better by far, Paul says. Better by far. It is better to be apart from the body and present with the Lord. That is a good thing when that happens. But the rewards, th- 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 they, they're always connected with his coming. He says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Or how about this, for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. I was telling uh, Scott this week that this um, passage and working on these passages reminds me of just how eschatological the New Testament is. And um, you don't have to try to write that out, just, I won't spell it for you, but eschatological. It's a big theological word. It means focused on the end time on the age to come, yeah, eschatological. And I'm not the first person to have said this or to have seen this. Theologians will often say that that Jesus and his coming is is that sort of vanishing point in the the painting. I I never learned to paint. Uh, Maybe not seeing color very well was part of that. Um, I kind of like that. But you know, when you, you've, you've understood, you probably learned this in grade school. They talked somewhere, an art teacher talked about the vanishing point and how, you know, there's this, everything's kind of like tracking into this one spot on the canvas for perspective. That's the New Testament. Like throughout the whole time you're reading it, it keeps drawing you to, your, to the thought and the time of his return. It's all pointing that way. We're supposed to look at it that way at that time when our rewards will be brought to us. We should embrace these as incentive, not competition. In case you were wondering and thinking, wow, this is just really sounding greedy. Hey, you know what? If you want to be greedy about rewards in heaven, I don't think that's altogether a bad thing in some respects. Um, I, I think we should encourage more of that. But it's really not a competition. For one reason... You would, it would be a hopeless endeavor to try to think about, well, how many rewards am I getting compared to that guy or that lady over there? Because you don't know. Paul said, I can't judge myself. That doesn't mean I'm free of judgment because Jesus is the one who's going to judge me. He's like, I'm going to wait for the judgment day to figure that out. I don't know. So like in a regular race, you can tell when you're being lapped. How many have ever been lapped in a race in your time? You, brave, yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. I see that hand. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, oh man, I am getting beat bad right now because that person just lapped me. Or maybe you lapped someone else and you thought, ah, sucker, you know, you run. You know, and, but in, in, in when it comes to the rewards in heaven, you and I have no idea. I might think I'm doing really, really well. I might be that guy that ha- who has his works burned up and I might just get through with a little singe factor happening. I don't know, you don't know. It's not meant to be competitive. And look at this familiar passage that I quote every week, almost. Um, Not neglecting to meet together. So the church is supposed to keep coming together. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Now, what's the picture there? Is it of a guy running, and he sees the guy taking, you know, getting, getting ready to pass him, and he gives him an elbow to knock him out of the way? No, I'm going to get ahead of you. Is that the picture? The day's coming. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be encouraging each other. You can make it. I, you can make, I know you're tired. Don't give up. Finish lines in sight. Keep your, head, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And if that other runner stumbles, what would the appropriate thing to do, a la you know, the Hebrews 10 here? You'd, you'd be picking them up, wouldn't you? You'd be like, come on, man. We're going to do this together. We're going to get across this, this finish line. And so it's not a competition. It's not a competition. We want to see everyone finish with their rewards fully intact. It's, this is incentive. Incentive to live our life with our, with our mind focused on Christ's return. We honor him when we want his rewards. Now this is more of an implication from the summary of, of, of all of these passages that we're looking at, but it goes to the very heart of how we worship God and and the nature of faith where we prefer the things of God. Go back to Adam and Eve. What was their sin? It's sort of the exact opposite of the story of Moses. They lived with all of the goodness of God. Every tree, every tree of the fruit, you know, the fruit of every tree of the garden. How How many trees were there? What were all the fruits available to them? Everything but one, everything. But one, what did they prefer? The one that was forbidden. They made a choice. Well, God's not trustworthy. I'm not going to set my heart on all this that God's given me when I could have that one thing that he doesn't want me to have. And, and, uh, and yeah, um, we, what we do, when we want what he wants, when we say, God, I trust you that these, other, that these trees are good and that that will fulfill me and satisfy me, that's a way of honoring God. Let me give you an application of this. Imagine you're on a cruise ship. This isn't a very good application, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is what I came up with. Imagine you're on a cruise ship, and it's going to come into this one port, and somehow, some way, maybe you're a, you're a foodie. Let's say you're that guy or gal, and, uh, you're really, and you've read that in this city, in this port city, if you go 10 miles in from the port and you, and, and you go 3,000 uh, feet upward, you know, up into the hills, there's this little tiny village, and like the people from Michelin actually go there and rave, but they don't have enough stars to give. There's this little tiny restaurant in a little tiny village, and there's one cook, uh, you know, Pedro or whatever, and, uh, and, and it's just remarkable. There's 15 seats in the whole place, and, and, uh, but if you could ever do it, it would be amazing. And so you get to the port, and, uh, and, you, and you step off, and the whole first street is just lined with nothing but food vendors and, and, and restaurants and people trying to pull you in to eat here or there, and you're like, no, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. Thank you. And you rent a burrow, and you know, two hours later, you're up in the high country, and you go in, and you find Pedro and his little restaurant, and you go in, and, and, and you eat, and you're just, oh, it's, it blows you away. Every bite is like ambrosia. And then Pedro comes out, and he, he, he decides to talk to you. Well, what brought you here? And you tell him, and you tell him all that you went through and all the restaurants you passed to get to him. What, 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 what's Pedro going to say? What? There were 5,000 people on that ship. What a selfish so-and-so you are coming up here to my restaurant eating like the pig. Wow. Is that what he's going to say? He's going to be like, wow, you went to that much trouble. You went to that length to come to my restaurant. 
you know what? I made something. I wasn't going to share it with the guests. I was just going to give it to my family. Let me go back and get a piece of that to share with you. Because you're honoring him, right? You're on, when we want what, and you know, John Piper was famous for saying that God is never more glorified than when we are satisfied in him. God is honored when we want his reward. That's a good thing. If, you're, if you just can't wait for what God has in store for you, that is absolutely the right heart to have toward him. Think about Jacob. If you read the story of Jacob, next time you're reading, the, you know, you're doing your Bible through the year and you get to Jacob and you go, I don't, and the first time I read about Jacob, I was scratching my head like, how on earth is this guy some emblem of faith? What a jerk. What a rotten, deceitful so-and-so. Just next time you're reading it, just notice what it is that he wants. Because that's the only good thing about Jacob, is his desire. He wants the blessing that was given to Abraham to come to him. He wants God's blessing. When he wrestles with the angel and he says, I'm not going let to you, let you go unless you bless me. He was greedy, a little. He was greedy for God's blessing. And God blessed him because he desired God. And you think about Mary, one of our favorite stories of all, Mary and Martha, and Martha is ticked off, and it seems reasonable that she's mad at her sister. Make her help me, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to her? Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things. Do you remember the next part? Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken from her. The better part. It's her desire. She hasn't gotten caught up in all these other things. She has one desire. It's just, I want what the Lord has for me. Because what he has for me will be good. We, so we honor him when we want that. Suffering is made more bearable in light of his reward. Um, and that's a good thing because we will suffer. We know that goes with faith. Those that want to live a godly life in Christ will suffer. It is, Paul says, through many tribulations that you enter into the kingdom of God. And there are numerous such statements. But rewards are part of the offset, you understand. It's not that we just grit and grunt and groan and, and try to get through it. It's that there is this offset. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Amen. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, we might not think it's so light, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You say, well, I'm not really sure he's talking about rewards there. Well, I mean, you might be able to lay that out differently and think differently than just thinking of rewards. How about this? This is the words of Jesus. He says, Rejoice in that day. He's talking about a day of persecution of suffering. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Yeah, think about that. Jesus is straight up saying, Rejoice and think about the great reward which is yours in contrast to the suffering that you're going through. It's like one is proof of the other. It's like, he might as well just say, put your heart on that. Yeah, it's hard. Look at that. Set that before your eyes. 
want that, desire that, rejoice in that. Think of an Olympic athlete who trains for years, hours and hours, arduously each day. Do you respect people that do that? You do? Aren't they greedy? Come on, horrible people, horrible, these Olympic athletes, putting everything in their own life when they could be looking at other people, but no, they're just, no, no. We respect them, don't we, oddly enough? Like, my kid just sits and plays video games. This, you know, this kid gets up at four in the morning and swims laps for two hours or whatever, and then they, what, and they do it all so that, you know, because you can become this great high-paid swimmer when you're 40 years old, right? Is that why they're doing it? Nobody remembers them at that point. Um, yeah, no, they do it because for the love of the sport and for, for the desire to wear the crown, as it were, to, to receive the gold medal. Why? Because you can sell a gold medal? Technically, you can. They're not worth that much. They're not solid gold, by the way. They're, I don't know. They say they get about 30K. I had to look that up. You know? but that's not worth all that they put into it, is it? That is not worth the blood, sweat, and the tears. And yet we don't look at those people and call them selfish. We respect that because they've set their heart on something good and they've endured great difficulty in order to have it. The believer who endures suffering in this life for the glory and for the reward of hearing Christ say, well done, desires a good thing. Surely when the suffering is intense, we are meant to think about that. We are meant to lay our hearts upon that. Our, war, our, I'm sorry, our reward will redound to his glory. Our rewards will redound to his glory. The rewards that we are going to enjoy will be for his glory because they will have been done in his power. Paul says in that great passage where he says that we're saved by grace through faith, this none of ourselves not of works, lest anyone should be. Then he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not as though when we, when we seek these rewards that we're seeking to earn our salvation. No, in, in no way. Nor are we really looking to brag as if there was something in us that we just pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps. What we're, what we're wanting in that day is to receive the reward which will come from the very work of Christ in us. Consider what it says in John 3.21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Yeah, we're going to receive reward. Yes, we will receive crowns. And you know what? There's that imagery of the, of the 24 elders throwing their crowns before Christ. And I think that's is implied is that we, we will all be doing that in that day. Whatever we've received will go back to him. It will overflow back to Christ. Christ himself would be our highest and best reward. How are you doing? You're hanging in there okay? A lot of points. You're making it? Okay. Christ himself, you're suffering, but there are rewards. Think about this, okay? Huh? Uh, Christ himself is our highest and best reward. Lest you fear that we're focusing too much on just these you know, crowns or whatever unspecified rewards, it, the greatest reward is Christ. We will see Jesus. We will know the one whom our soul loves. We will know him as we have been known. It will be joy. We will finally see clearly, no longer through that veil, no longer through a glass dimly. We won't need the sun or a lamp because the Lord will be the light in that day. 
What reward did the thief have on the cross? When he gets to heaven, when, when Christ returns and rewards are given, what rewards will he have? It wasn't like he lived this great life and suffered a lot for Christ before he went to, to the cross, was it? And it wasn't like after he became converted, then he had 20, 30 years to just really do a lot of great things for the kingdom of God. Not at all. In fact, it was just that one little moment where faith was awakened in his heart and he realized that the guy hanging next to him on a cross like him was not a fellow thief or a fellow wrongdoer, but it was the Messiah, the king. And so he says to Jesus, you know, when you come into your kingdom, and that's a great statement of faith right there because this guy's dying on a cross. But Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says today, you'll be with me in paradise. He was with the Lord. And that will be our highest joy, is that we will be where the Lord is. Even if all of the rest is burned away, we will be with the Lord. The last point here, consider your reward in the lives of others, in the lives of others. Paul seems to have an idea about rewards that crosses a number of different reward categories. Like on the one hand, if you're in Philippians chapter 3, it seems like what his reward is, is, is the upward calling in Christ. The fellowship of Christ, the fellowship of his suffering in that day. That's, that's part of what he's really looking forward to. And, and yet, you, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we looked at this in the first week of our series. You know, those who love is appearing, that there's this crown of righteousness. So Paul's not beyond thinking about crowns in that day, a crown of righteousness. And yet there's another category of reward that we'll see here in 1 Thessalonians. He says there, for what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before the Lord? Before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? Is it not you? There's a sense in which part of our reward, one of our great rewards in the day of Christ, will be when we look and we see those that are there in some part because of what we have done. Yeah? I mean, did you win someone to the Lord? Did you share your faith and someone came to Christ? Surely that will be your crown and your reward on that day. Did you encourage a brother who was starting to fade, starting to pull away from the faith as it were? They were caught up in sin or false teaching or just lethargy and you came alongside and, and, and you picked them up and, and you drug them back you know, to the fellowship of, of, of believers. Did you support the church in the making of disciples? Were you part of a of a biblical church that was accomplishing things and you were part of that and so all of the things that collectively were done by the church are accrued to your account did you support the giving in a church where the money was going to support missionaries and that money flowed to missionaries who were carrying the gospel to places that haven't been reached or just now being reached and and people are in heaven that day partly because of what you've given in support of that surely that will be part of the reward dear ones if, if you've been a Christian for years and your earthly bank account is pathetic and your health is rotten and you're maybe feeling just tired or maybe maybe even bitter you remember when the disciples asked Jesus you know we've left everything what will there be for us if it's easier for a 
rich man, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and a rich man in hell, what, what's, what will become of us? We've given up everything. If, you, if, you, if that's where your heart is, it's not altogether wrong to ask those questions. But listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And when, we, when we see Jesus and we are in the company of, of, of God's people, God willing, there will be people there because, because of you. And your labor will not have been in vain. They will be your crown. You'll, you'll be a crown for someone else. There will be someone there going, look at Jay, you know, look at Matt, look at Dennis. That's a crown. That's one of my crowns that, that, that God used me. You know, glory be to the Lord, but, but, but what a joy in that day. Where are your treasures? Where are your rewards? Are you bitter? Are you fearful? Are you worried? Are you feeling somehow like it's just not all working out it, it, the way you thought? The truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is that we don't get out of this world alive for the most part unless Jesus comes and, yeah. And, and you know what? Along the road, there's suffering. It's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. All that is normal. So, brothers and sisters, like the whole New Testament, we should be eschatological. There's that big word. Our vision should be set on Christ and his return. Is, are there intermediate goals and things I have to get accomplished between here and there? Sure, yeah, I know, I know. But that's the big picture. That's what we're moving toward. And we should be thinking about the treasures laid up in heaven. That's where, that's where the concentration should be. Not did I invest enough. I'm so stupid I should have invested all my money when I was 22 years old. Well, whatever, you didn't. <laughs> but what, how have I invested in that? How have I invested in God's kingdom? If you're not a believer in Jesus, let me just uh, speak one quick truth into your life, which is a truth that you absolutely know. If you're, not, if you're not a believer in Christ, you at least know that this is absolutely true, and that is that the world has been promising stuff that it doesn't deliver on. The advertising's great. Oh, it's always great. It's always amazing. Oh, I'm always going to be happy for the rest of my life. And yet every single one of those things that it tries to sell us comes with an expiration date and a shelf life. And a limited warranty. But none of, none of it that is offered can promise you anything eternal. So what we promise you today, we offer you Christ. We offer Christ and, and with Christ, we offer you eternal life. And all that labor that, that, you've, that you've wasted in your life, that labor that's been in vain, all at once the labor for him is not in vain. You can lay up treasures in heaven as you, as you follow Christ. So turn from sin. That's called repentance. You turn away from the way you're going, from your idolatry, your rebellion, your sin, and you turn and you look to Jesus Christ and you trust in him for eternal life. And not only will he save you, but he will, he will give you an amazing life. Yes, through, through suffering, through tribulation, but, but all of it, all of it rich and all of it will Will, will be worth it when he comes. He brings his reward with him. He says, behold, I come quickly and I bring my recompense with me. 
So set your heart on that. Set your heart on Christ's coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we tend to think of the Christian life as being so selfless that, that we forget that there's a kind of hedonism, a kind of selfishness that we're really called to, which is, which is to look to you and to your reward and, and to the pleasures at your side forevermore, that, that, that we are not to be a, a, a people that are um, sad and dour and, and uh, fatalistic, but, but we are to be people filled, filled with joy. And if we're suffering, Lord, we're supposed to be rejoicing because that, that was true of the prophets and, and, and those faithful that went before us and, and, and we're in good company. That, that, that our labor and our, and our reward is laid up for us when we come home to be with you. And Lord, we just, we just ask that you'd give us more heart for that, more a vision, more, uh, more an understanding and mindset to focus on that above everything else. And we pray, Lord, that somebody today might hear that. Maybe they, they've never really sought faith. They've never sought um, any relationship with you, but today might be that day. Lord, where they see things in, in, a, in a better light or a truthful light and that they would come to that and acknowledge their sin and believe in you and be saved. We just earnestly ask, Lord, that you would do that through the work of your church and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name, amen.